0: Are you looking for hope? Then you're in the right place. If you're not, well, you're still in the right place because we all need hope. Welcome to the Shine and Delight podcast. We hope to navigate life's storms together as we encourage and build up one another to find true saving hope and the only one that can truly satisfy. We can't fix your problems, but we'll definitely point you towards someone who will. Come along. Beautiful people, boys and girls. What a wonderful day it is to here in
1: Dallas.
2: It's fall and the weather is so so beautiful. Ah, it's not that great yet. Actually, it's kind of still hot.
1: It's getting there. Right? Getting there. All right, we have two special guests on the podcast today. Welcome, Jesse Gall. Tell us about yourself. I two am... interesting
2: facts and two
3: uninteresting facts Wow, about you. Two of each. Okay, wow. yeah. He's, I'm about to say that's a lot of questions. Introduce yourself. Yeah, could, yeah. Okay, it could be this whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, interesting fact I'll do one interesting fact sure uh, I'm actually a really good juggler really I, I'm insanely good at juggling
1: let's give him let's give him three knives and see what happens he's very humble yeah. love it
3: yeah. I, yeah I'm a very <laughs> humble person as that's well his that's the second th- most interesting fact he's that's, super humble <laughs> <laughs> that's the uh, that's the party trick if uh, someone says something interesting I could just grab three random objects and just get busy with them that's cool I could juggle really well what was the next question most interesting fact about you. Un- interesting fact uninteresting fact Um I don't know. He juggles. That's very uninteresting. That's uninteresting. People like could like that or not like that. Yeah. So So (laughs) uninteresting fact. I love to watch golf. And that could T- yeah, t- that's pretty boring. T- that could t- turn t- 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 a lot of people off. That's, that'd people be don't. more boring. Yeah, Little golf don't. claps. It's super quiet. You yeah. can't <gasps> say anything. Pop the golf on the TV, take a little nap on Sunday. That's how you chill. And then
1: un-interesting. Uh, We have another special guest today with us. Taylor. I don't even know your last name yet. What is it? Rock. rock. Oh, Rock. The yeah. Rock is in the house. <laughs> She's going places. She is going big places. Taylor, one interesting fact about you.
4: Okay, I don't know if this is interesting or uninteresting, but my grade school, high school, and college were within a mile of one another. So I was really, I was really within the Just
1: a small town girl. Yeah. yeah. Something like that, yeah. I'm going places. But she's going places. That's why she's wearing the shirt. And what's the most interesting underst- fact about you?
4: Oh, I thought that was kind of uninteresting. I,
1: that was interesting. I yeah. don't know too long to do that.
4: Okay, well, you know, here's another fact. You can classify it as interesting or uninteresting, right, if you right. will. But um, I lived, what was it, December 20th, 2018? Twice.
1: December 20th? Twi- she flew around the world then? I did, yes. All right. Yes. Wow. Where'd you go?
4: Um, I was coming back. I studied abroad in Australia. So I was coming uh, back. Crudy, I cried, I, I love Australia. I went Australia. I, love sh- I love Australia.
1: <laughs> Good. <Goodness>. So, yeah. <laughs> all right, guys, I do have an icebreaker for you all today. A great little question. Um... If there was something, you know, we, we buy a lot of things all the time and you buy stuff maybe every single day. It's the same thing. If there is one thing that you could change to be a dollar every time you buy it. What would it be? So, you know, you're going to buy it. What would it be? For me, it would be plane flights. I'm over here thinking, man, if I could get a plane flight every time I buy a plane flight for a dollar, that'd be awesome. Change my life.
3: Stocks. Tesla, stocks. Yeah. Every day. Tesla stocks. Tesla for stocks for a dollar.
1: But you could sell them for a lot more than that. I like okay. that. Good job, me.
3: I would do houses. Ooh, real estate. Wow, that's a
1: that was my uh, that was my earlier answer. That was like hey, I wanna travel. You're a real estate yeah, agent. Exactly. I changed it after that.
4: I was definitely gonna go with the flight one. That would be a huge benefit. Mm-hmm. But you places. I am going places. Maybe I don't know, going outside of the um you do cars or hotels, maybe mm, you no. can hotels. Go, go more places. You stay
1: at that all inclusive in Cabo for a dollar a night. Come yeah. on. Yeah. i yeah. I'd yeah. be dollar okay store. with that. Go live in Cabo. You can do that, right? Yeah, I get three hundred sixty-five dollars for the whole year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd be okay with that. Yeah, man. All right, well, guys, we are talking about a little bit of pop culture today. Absolutely, yeah. A little we... demystification of pop culture and how the Christian is called.
2: To live in counterculture, actually, and maybe how even the how non Christians should focus on not following pop culture and instead think about following Christ, because pop culture is very, very toxic. And so today we'll really just go over some questions about, hey, why you should not do that. You know, for example, let's start with the most common thing that's happening at the moment: cancel culture. Why you should not follow that? Why you should not focus on canceling people who you do not agree with? Take it away, Taylor. What do you have to say for us?
4: Oh, gosh. Well, I, I mean, I can i can kick it off. I think when we cancel one another, we we miss an opportunity for conversation.
2: Mm. And that's,
4: I think, a starting point, right? That yeah. just says, I don't want to listen to you. But like, I think you're missing an opportunity. So for yourself, like if something offends you, if something um, kind of you know, does not strike you well, like, that's an opportunity for conversation. Like, why is that? And I think when we just cancel, that's... That's an easy way out, right? Like it's real. If somebody says something or does something that maybe makes you feel a certain type of way, like maybe explore that. That's, That's the hard work that we're missing there. And I think that's why a lot of the time we end up with conflicting beliefs is we never go to that hard place of conversation and we're just making a lot of assumptions. And I mean, for me, like growing up, that's just something, you know, when I didn't give somebody else an opportunity and I made assumptions, that was really dangerous for a relationship.
1: Yeah. Well, I was really thinking that, you know, Jesse will admit is a humble guy. He doesn't know everything. Yeah. I don't either. No one does. <laughs> and so by having a conversation with somebody and being open to it, you're saying, hey, I can learn something from you. You actually yeah. have something to teach me. I can be a student to you, a value in my life. That's one of my first thoughts too.
2: I was having a very good conversation with a friend uh, before I came here, and you we were talking about how the American culture has glorified, you know, romance right and romancing with each other it might be intimate it might not be intimate so for example at the moment you are seeing the stats you know for I mean, in the United States of America, we have the highest rates of divorce, right? And it's because men have realized that there's always four, four stages in any relationship. And so the first stage is always going to be the honeymoon phase, where everything works out, where, where you know, you love your spouse and you are awesome and you feel great about them. And then after that, yeah, then there comes the conflicting Face right after a honeymoon, then there comes the conflicting face, and where that's where you realize that this person is not as cool as i thought they were, right? And usually in America, especially for people who haven't really, <clears throat> who haven't really explored how to resolve conflicts, they're like, hey, we're conflicting, I'm out, right? But then after that, after that face, there should come a reconciliation face. We like okay. I'm asking for your forgiveness. This is how you hurt me. And let's really patch things up, right? Unfortunately, most relationships do not allow uh, that to happen, the third phase. And then after the reconciliation phase, there comes the acceptance phase, where you're like, I know you, I know your flaws, I know you're not perfect, but I love you. And I think that's really, that should be healthy for every single individual. Yeah.
1: Cancel culture is really the opposite of the gospel, where um, Jesus came for everyone inside of that and he welcomed people in and he ate with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes, all these different things. He's hanging out with everybody. And he's welcoming them to the in and listening to what they have to say. Even the Pharisees are eating with them, right? It's not like he's immediately like, "Oh, cancel the Pharisees, you're out." He's actually teaching everyone and loving everyone, and that's what we're called to do as Christians because we are all human beings are created in the image of God, and we're image bearers. And therefore, I have to say, man, this person's a creation of God as well, I'm an image bearer of Him. I'm going to listen to him. I'm going to love him well.
3: Yeah, I think it's a it's a slippery slope as well because if we continue down to the path that we're going on with this cancel culture. Essentially, everyone's going to get canceled. Oh, yeah, 100%. We all have mistakes. We all have transgressions, iniquity. We all have a rough past. We've all done stuff that if it got pulled up, it could potentially, you know, destroy your whole life. And that's, yep. that's what you see going on in today in America is they're just picking and choosing. If They don't like this individual. They're just seeking out stuff, trying to resurrect your past and then hold it against you in your future.
2: And there's so much anger associated with that. Like Very it's much just so. a bunch of angry people and I'm like, come on, man, relax. Yeah, well, there's no forgiveness.
3: Yeah. It's trying to hold something on somebody's head that they did 12, 15 years ago that they've you know, pleaded you know, to ask for forgiveness. You know?
1: Yeah, we have in Proverbs where it says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. And we think about a haughty spirit or a pridefulness saying that I'm right, my way, me, my, myself, mine. That's cancel culture. Hey, if you don't look at my culture, no, no, mine's all the only way. Done. There's no other culture. You're done, right? See you later. And so we see that leading ultimately to destruction. And then, you know, Proverbs is a much wisdom book, which could be taken from any culture. You can see wisdom inside of that. And they do have a, a Jewish background in there, obviously, looking at the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. It says that twice in there. But any culture can take that, right? We know as we get prideful and prideful, at some point, that person's going
3: to fall. I, I guess a n- unique perspective, if you look at it from a Christian perspective, imagine if Jesus was cancel culture. They like, tried to cancel him, actually. Yeah. I'm saying like if he operated in the in, in that oh, mindset, yeah. Yeah, the opposite wow. that. every yeah. single person would be canceled. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Just thought well, that. He, he's like <laughs> the
4: antithesis of cancel culture, right? So. Yeah. Like he literally said like he who was it without sin shall first cast the first stone, right? Like he basically said like, no, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to choose not to cancel people. So I think when we look around, it's like when you are inclined to cancel somebody, think about all the times when you could have been canceled, right? Like who gave you forgiveness? Who gave you grace? Who gave you the benefit of the doubt and said, hey, Can you tell me more when you say that? Like, what do you mean? And gave me the opportunity to defend my statement or to say, wait, that's not how I meant. Or maybe, wow, you're right. I'm completely wrong. I'm sorry if that offended you. I did not. That was not my intent.
3: Wow. Yeah, having a humble heart these days is very
4: important. And I do want
3: to say that I don't agree that like there are some things that do need to be canceled and do need to be brought (laughs) to light. But what I think, mean, the, you, I mean think we're that? going about it unhealthy ways. I just want to put it on record. I'm saying that everything that has been canceled, I'm not saying that like, oh, we shouldn't cancel anything. There's, there's some history and I think there are some What do you mean by that? that? Tell us about that. What do you mean? We said there's some things that we should cancel. What do you mean by that? Well, well let me try
2: to el- el- elaborate from what, yeah. from my understanding, I think the cancel culture today, it's really about what you've been told and it's not really about what you understand. So people don't seek to understand. You log to Twitter and then you find someone trending and then you're like, cancel this person, right? Because you don't really seek to understand it. And if we are approaching cancel culture, if we are canceling people without really having an understanding, but because we saw it on a social media somewhere or because because a certain influencer said something denouncing Andrew, then now I'm cancelling Andrew without really getting to listen to Andrew's perspective of the story, then that's completely inappropriate. I agree. Uh, Jesse, you talked about forgiveness, right? And I think the the reason why we have this cancel culture in place is because we are a people, we live in a world where people don't really know how to forgive or what forgiveness is all about. And uh, yesterday I was reading something that said uh, for. Uh, unforgiveness sometimes masquerades as irreconcilable differences so can we talk really more about what forgiveness is and how really to forgive and
3: why that's really important not to the offender but to the offended so elaborate on forgiveness to the offended person how the offended person should be quick to forgive yeah well i think from a i mean my mind jumps straight to the gospel I was a man who wanted nothing to do with God and then God pursued me. He enabled me to see, and then he, and I look back at my life and how much I've been forgiven. And if you look at it from like just a Christian perspective, a Christian who is struggling to forgive someone or something, they should look at it through the lens of Christ and understand how much they've been forgiven and ultimately way more than whatever price situation that they're going through to forgive somebody else. And so that's, that's how I operate. I look at it through that perspective. I'm like, man, I've been forgiven so much just from Christ and reconciled to Christ. And he continues to forgive me over and over again, you know, even in the midst of my sin and the grace and the mercy that he continues to pour on my life. Because obviously since I came to Christ, I still need a lot of forgiveness. It's not like I just stopped sinning when I got saved. So I still, you know, and Christ continues to forgive me. And I try to operate out of that mindset to forgive others, be quick to forgive others. And not every situation is easy, but I think ultimately looking to Christ and what he's done on the cross and how he what he went through to um, forgive us ultimately is the lens I try to operate on.
2: So when someone offends you and you have this ugly bile ri- rising in your tummy, right? feel mm-hmm. feels weird. How does it change from that to, man, I forgive you? you know i've said this before that hey i forgive you but then at night i'm like what the heck is wrong with this guy you know yeah
3: i think it's it's different with everybody as well sometimes some people are quick to where they could operate out of the mindset they could see how much they've been forgiven in christ and they could truly forgive somebody in the heat of the moment but most people it'll it'll take some time you could say you forgive somebody in the moment but when you go home and you replay the whatever situation happened in your head You're like, man, and it starts to get at you. And it's like, did I really forgive that person? So you really have to wrestle that because if you don't truly, whether it's in the heat of the moment, you don't forgive somebody, you need to go back and make sure like, Hey, you know, I actually wrestled with that thought. And, you know, during the situation it happened so quick and I forgave you, I was quick to forgive and, but I really hadn't forgiven you in my heart. And so I think it would just be going back to that person and acknowledging that. That's lovely.
4: Yeah. So I think it's it's hard to, to forgive, right? And I think not all forgiveness feels the same to us, right? Somebody that, you know, steals your French fry and it's like, oh, I forgive you. Okay, you can have that. But then when there are real, real hurts that, you know, it's, it, it's easier said than done. But I think when I hear be quick to forgive, I think it's like root yourself in the truth, right? Because it's easy to like ruminate on what that person did and the real emotions that surround that. But like, that's where I find myself. I have, to, I have to stop and I have to say, okay, what's real? What's true? Like, did that person intend to hurt me? I don't know. I don't know what's in their heart. But what I do know is that we're all broken mm. and forgiveness comes from God. I, You know, that's that's where it's like I try to root myself in the truth and the light. and And that's where I feel set free. When I sit in those emotions, you can be consumed by them. Um, so that's that's kind of how I try to take it but it it's tough.
1: <laughs> I love how Jesse pointed out there that like we've been forgiven so much as Christians that's what we're that's what we forgive. It's uh, in Matthew 18, you know, Peter, Simon Peter, one of the disciples who's kind of like loose cannon basically. You know, you got always got one of those friends who just fires off. He's like Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive? Like uh, like seven times? Like is that good enough? And he's like no, 70 times 7, which is to say a metaphor for ever just keep forgiving. And then he gives the parable where he's like, here's this guy, the servant owes this king 10,000 talents, an insurmountable amount of money, equivalent to about three and a half billion dollars today. That's a lot of money to owe somebody. That's a lot of debt. Sounds like national debt. And uh, <laughs> then, so the, the, the king, he pleads and begs and the king forgives him. That's the kind of debt that we've been forgiven for our sins for, before God is saying, man, it's an insurmountable. We could never earn it in, you know, 200 lifetimes. We just, it's almost impossible. It is impossible. And that's what God forgives us. But then he goes away. sees his fellow servant. And he's like, oh, you owe me a hundred days wages. You owe me 30 K man. Pay up. All right. Force him to go into prison or whatnot, won't pay him up. He has his hard heart, won't forgive him. That's us saying, I'm not going to forgive my brother or my friend around me who's hurt me because they've just done so much wrong to me. And that there's a lot of hard wrongs here. Don't get me wrong. Like there's actually people who have been raped, fellow family members who've been killed or you've lost a limb, whatever's that, like really bad things that have happened. Yeah. And yet God still calls us to forgive that person because the life, the eternal spiritual life in heaven is of so much more value than that
2: life here on earth. Oh, Andrew... That's awesome. I'd love to ask for a clarification. You said yeah. we as Christians have been forgiven so much. Yeah. Is that really exclusive to Christians? Um, we're saying that, like, when you're not a Christian,
1: not knowing the gospel, right? I have there's. I mean, wherever you're at, you may with that. Maybe maybe you've heard about Jesus, and you're thinking, like, man, I don't need that. I don't. I don't think I have this many sins. I'm good, right? I can do good things. I don't need that. It doesn't exist, right? So therefore, that individual has not been forgiven of anything, right? His sins are still on himself in that sense, right? When he comes before God later on, the individual has to say, the God's gonna look at him and say, man, I loved you, I died for you, but you didn't know me and you didn't take my burden, my yoke, which was easy. Versus the Christian who says, I can't get into heaven, I can't do this, only through Christ alone can I do this and my sins are forgiven by the blood of Christ. So the, to answer that question that way, is saying everyone's sins can be forgiven, but it takes us repenting of our sins and relying upon Christ and his death and resurrection, showing that he is God. It's it's, it's basically like the door is open to everyone who chooses to go through that door. That's,
2: that's the question awesome. there. That's awesome. That's lovely. Good clarification. Absolutely. Wow. <clears throat> so council culture, that's that. I feel as if council culture is really a product of uh, very judgmental... Uh, I mean, we tend to be very judgmental as a people. And so when we cancel people, it's because we have imposed our judgment on them, right? And we're like, yeah, this person, just seen no, 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 he, he needs to go. He, mm-hmm. he lied to me 10 years ago, so he's dead, he's dead to me. And so my question, my next question is, why should you not judge? And we are going to approach this from a worldly perspective and then from a biblical perspective.
4: Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, I think um, <laughs> when you think about judgment too, right, it's like, do you have the answers? Like, it, it, you know, if I knew everything, and I, and I said something, it's like, okay, like, I, I have the answer. But the fact of the matter is like, if I count how many times I've been wrong, and I'm, I'm speaking from a worldly perspective here, like, just very, like, pragmatically, you know, if, if I make a statement and I really don't know if I'm right or not, like, am I really willing to, like, s- like stand behind that every single time? And there are some things, right, that we are willing to stand behind. It's kind of a gamble at times. And that's just, again, kind of not looking necessarily biblically here, but, um, you know, if, if I'm going to judge, it's like, am I right? I don't know.
3: I think Sunday Bible school answer is, yeah, don't judge because Jesus tells us not to.
4: Yeah, what would Jesus <laughs> do?
3: And I think the whole, you know, um, I think it's in Matthew 5 or 7, and it's— Seven. A lot of us need to take the plank out of our own eye. And I guess I'll explain it this way. I'll go from the other perspective of it. I think that we've almost classified constructive criticism in society as judging to where you can't even speak in somebody's life anymore because, well, you're judging me. You're judging me. You're judging me. You know, a lot of people are, we're classifying judging in our society as just constructive criticism and we're putting those two together. You can't even speak in somebody's life. If you see something going on in their life, you're trying to help them. You you ultimately want what's best for them to, you know, enhance their life or to grow sanctification, sanctify or whatever it may be. But so many people are quick to say, if you say anything to anybody's life today, it's like, well, you're judging me, you're judging me. And that's, That's not true. So I just wanted to clarify that as well. I see it from that perspective, I think. I agree. Yeah.
4: That's a good point. Yeah. That's a very
1: good point, too. I like how it is in Matthew 7. We're talking about judge not lest you be judged. And he's like, you who see the speck in your brother's eye, you know, take the log out of your own eye. And again, that's, that's pride. I'm seeing this one little small issue with a friend. And I'm like, oh man, I can't believe you're sitting in that way, Neville. But yet I have this big pile of sin over here. It's a big pile of issues, or a plank, a plank. Yeah, a Shirked plank. Through your eyes, <laughs> like, dude, you got some issues. And you're like, when was like, wait, what about you, Andrew? You know, in that sense, I love. I says with the same measure that you've been, you judge, you will be judged inside of that. Yeah, it's kind of saying that the pride that you have and not repenting of your sins, you're going to be judged for that overall mm-hmm. in that. So first repent of your own sins, recognize where you're at and then it's not necessarily judgment but call your brother and sister higher. Call those people higher. Yeah.
3: And I think for like a, I'll, I'll use alcohol for perfect examples. You don't struggle with alcohol. Let's say that Andrew, and you don't, but you've overcome an addiction with alcohol. You don't struggle with alcohol anymore. Yeah. You've removed that specific plank from your eye. I'm still struggling with that. You have complete you know, authority to speak into my life on that and be like, hey, I see you're struggling with this and call me out on that. That's not right. And the whole judging is really if you're struggling with alcohol and I'm struggling with alcohol and you're telling me to stop, you know, and that's, that's <laughs> not Put the But then over here,
1: Kieran, you know, because a half and, liter in my backpack. Yeah, a,
3: a lot of Christian, And that's how that verse is supposed to operate. A lot of people just say, well, you can't say anything about anybody's life. It's like, no, if you're not struggling and God has enabled you to overcome you know, obstacle or challenge or um, some addiction, and you see a brother or sister in Christ who's struggling with that, you have permission to speak, and you should, you know, and we need to to speak into their lives. And we need people, other Christians, we got to humble ourselves a little bit. And then when somebody is speaking into our lives, not view it as judging, it's like, man, this is a brother or sister in Christ who is literally trying to help me to grow in Christ as well. I need to kind of just humble myself, and it's constructive criticism. It's not necessarily just judging from that perspective. Yeah. yeah, But I also
2: think that you can just be open to receiving criticism from everyone. You
3: know? Yeah, even outside of a biblical Absolutely. context. Yeah you, yeah, you
2: have to identify your people and allow them in, right, into your life so that they actually know you enough to call you out.
3: Yeah. And, I mean, what's more loving? If, if one of my friends sees that I have a problem, and we'll take Christian perspective outside mm-hmm. of it, say we're not Christians and I see a, my friend sees something that I'm doing wrong in my life that's not going to be beneficial for me in the long run, I would hope that he would call me out on it and be like, yo, you need to you need to chill out with that. You need to grow in this area. And, you know, it's there's two options that I could react. Well, you're just judging me. You need to be quiet. And yeah. w- what's more loving, though, you know?
2: You know, I really, really love what you said that, uh, uh, I mean, two people might be struggling with the same thing, but then, one person might be oblivious to the struggle, right? So it's a it's a well-known psychological fact that most humans, you know, we consider ourselves to be better than we actually are, mm. right? And to back that up, this this uh concept that was brought up by one one psychologist, I can't really remember the name. It's the Johari Window, where you have four squares, right? Four open squares. So you have the open self, the blind self. The hidden self and the unknown self, right? So these are four squares: open, blind, hidden, and unknown. So in the open square, in the open shelf, there's things that you know about yourself, and also things that other people can see in you, right? So that's open. And then the blind self, other people can see it, but you cannot see it, right? And then the hidden self, it's things that you know, you know, the struggles that you haven't really brought to the light, you know, so you know about these things, but others can't see it quite. And then the unknown self, it's really about things that really God is in the process, or God is allowing to be revealed to you over time. And so for things in the hidden self, you need people to point that stuff out to you. And you need to be really open to be like, yikes, I didn't realize I was struggling with that.
3: Yeah, and you could it's only a... grow to the level of what your friends or Christians know. Absolutely. I mean, what you do behind closed doors. And we've had professors you know, hit on that. We need to bring everything to the light because if you're hiding that closed self, you know, behind closed doors and you're not revealing that to your brothers, your brothers could only help you grow in what they know. Yeah. So if they don't know what you're doing behind closed doors and you're keeping that in secret, don't expect to ever grow in those areas. And I think it was Dr. Yarbrough. He said, who you are behind closed doors is who you truly are. Mm. What you do behind closed doors yeah. is the person you truly are. Well, I
4: think also just kind of returning to that hidden self part, you know, if, if there's something going on in my life that my friends can see um, and, and they want to approach me about it as a, as a good community, um, I think part of like being that friend that that approaches another is understanding this is something they probably don't see in themselves. So if you come out of the blue and you just go for, you know, go for it and just lay it all out, sometimes that can be very alarming. So I think it's sometimes important to like qualify those conversations with like, hey, what I'm about to say might be hard to hear, but please know that I'm coming from a loving place. So yeah. you're you're not just going, jumping from, you know, the cold ice bath to the, the hot tub. It's like, no, let's lean into like, let's kind of yeah. build up to this and say, hey, like prepare yourself. And this is, I'm coming at you from a loving place. So we can remove that kind of like the confusion of constructive criticism, right? When you're yeah. the, on the receiving end of that, just hearing somebody like start the conversation with, hey, this might be hard to hear. And please know that I might not get all the words right. I might not articulate this perfectly, but it's coming from a loving place because mm-hmm. I want to see you grow and thrive. So I, I just know that essentially it's not it's not judgment, right? Yeah. I think that can yeah. be like yeah. when you are about to say something that's hard to hear. Sometimes you can do yourself a favor in that process.
1: Very much well, so by setting that precedence ahead of time. Yeah. Um. And mm-hmm. there, hey, do I have permission to speak? Into this area of your life, Amen. right? Yeah. If they yeah. say no, you're like, "All right, cool. I'm going to back off on that." Yeah. I mean, but Paul even talks about it in First Corinthians and in, in 1 Corinthians five, where he says, "For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge, right?" He's talking like the Corinthians church who is hanging out, they're having sexual morality inside the church, where this guy's sleeping with his mother, basically it's his stepmother, right? Like it's horrible yeah. stuff, and they're like, "Man." don't hang out with this guy. Like he's actively committing sin. We've called him out on in that sense, right? You should tell him this is sin and and hold him accountable to this. Call him higher. That's what he's really telling me by judging them. Call him higher, man. Call him out on this. Don't allow that to persist. Now, outside of that, he's like, but you guys should be, you know, in the world, not of the world, hanging out with the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the people who are doing sexual morality stuff to be a light and to witness to them over on that. And as Christians, he's just like, we are like, man, I can't judge them. I'm not the ultimate judge because mm-hmm. he says God is the ultimate judge. God is the one who judges those outside the church and inside the church. Right. Ultimately. Um, yeah. And that just like, that's Whoa. like, give it to God I, It'd be unoffendable as a Christian.
3: Yeah. And I feel like you see that in society. Is today we have so many Christians judging people who aren't Christians. Yeah. We don't hold them up to the same standard. If I see you doing something that you shouldn't, I'll probably call you out on it. And I love what Taylor said. It's about how you go about it. Hey, do I have permission to speak into your life? And, what I'm about to say is it could seem, you know, offensive, but I want to let you know it's coming out of love. And those are good practical strategies to go into those conversations with. We see a problem we're trying – Christians are trying to hold non-believers up to the same perspective yeah. instead of meeting them where they're at. It's like holding a
1: two-year-old and a full-grown adult to the same standards and like, it's, what do you mean? You, you, haven't read, you haven't read the Bible? You don't know all these things. Yeah. X, Y, and, Z, and It's like, the the person does not speak English.
3: Yeah, exactly. Right, and I
4: think like what I was saying earlier is, you know, take the bible away. I don't have the answers alone, like I don't. And I think sometimes we try to we try to apply that same logic to theology and to Christianity where we try to make these yes or no like what what would god say about this and we try to we try to essentially apply our own like perceptions our own opinions to the bible. And and so we take kind of this outward focus to like we we take a world view to the biblical view and we have to remind ourselves like even you know when we're having those conversations with non-believers when we're having those conversations with believers who might not be aware of their struggle is you know it's like first of all before i say anything what is at the heart of my belief what is at the heart of my conviction is it true is it good or like am I acting out of emotion here? Is this an opinion? Is this rooted biblically? I think that's kind of where we have to start with a lot of judgments because yeah. when we try to make, when, when we try to essentially play God and say, well, this is the way things should be. This is the way I think should things should be. Mm-hmm. I think that's where we see a lot of church hurt As people say, like, I felt really, ash- like, I felt like I was shamed by my church. I yeah. felt like I was like kicked out of my church for something that, you know, I, I, like that was never my intent, but you know, I felt judged. I felt like I didn't belong. And that's, that's not what the church stands for. It's, it's love your neighbors with all of your heart and love God with all your heart. And judgment is just not, it's, it's not, I don't hear the word judge in that commandment.
1: Hmm. I love how Jesus says in Matthew 5, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Sadducees and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven, right? He's saying they outwardly held the entire law, plus all the stuff that they had written down, man's code and God's code. And yet that's not good enough. Right, he said. Righteousness. In order to exceed that righteousness, you have to know Christ. You have to have His righteousness imputed upon you.
2: That's awesome. I really love how we're talking about very cool stuff now that we have, uh, now that we have established that there's no place for the cancel culture in God's kingdom, and also that there's no place for us people to judge. Um, now let's really talk about bringing things into the light. Right. So if you are having sex. Behind closed doors, I'm gonna add some dramatic effect. Hmm. Why is that not okay? As a Christian or non-Christian?
3: Both. Both. Yeah.
2: Oh, okay. You're addressing um, every Tom, Dick, and Harry.
3: I could. I could go from like. A statistic basis, and then you could bring into the Christian perspective. Andrew's gonna, gonna bring it to the Christian.
2: Oh, why? <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> yeah. We're
1: we're at like lunch today with some friends who right around town, and my wife is. I said something, and she's like, "Tell me you go to DTS without telling me you go to DTS." I was like, "Okay, just because I mentioned the gospel, just because I mentioned yeah. the gospel again." Yeah, <laughs> with the pray shirt or the pray shirt. Yeah, exactly.
3: American flag on the side. all
1: right, go ahead, Jesse. You can start us off.
3: Um. So. Just to, I mean, statistically, people who are cohabitating before marriage, so you got God's design for marriage and then the world's design, which is Mm. do whatever works for you. And I think from a statistically perspective, people who follow God's ways, there's never been one divorce ever. And then people who follow the world's ways, I mean, what is it, like 50%? I'm pretty sure it's over 50%. It's 50% or higher.
1: I think it's 60%
0: now. Yeah,
3: I know it's higher than 50%, which is insane. So you have a 50% chance of getting married if you don't follow God's way and getting a divorce. And when I say God's way too, we could have a man who truly has salvation in Christ, a woman who truly has salvation in Christ, and they're honoring God's ways and they're both seeking. Yeah. Um, and I think too, people who cohabitate together, it's, um, it's playing marriage without actually... I mean, really getting married at that point is just signing the contract, just signing some legal fees. Mm. And then you don't, you're not, you're selling yourself short. Ultimately, I don't know how to explain this without bringing in the gospel. (laughs) Um, Yes, it's
1: it's tough to explain (laughs) by there. Um, But biologically, um, sex is the highest form of endorphins naturally we can have. Like sex is whether you're Christian or non-Christian, Christians believe that we created like this, non christians saying, okay, this is how we, nature came about. But sex is not like we're getting epidural. It doesn't hurt. It's the highest release of natural endorphins. Like, it's awesome. But also at the same mm-hmm. time, we see when you have sex, you have a um, neural networks that are formed um, with that person, right? The, so an imprinting with the person that you're having sex on, yeah. right? So then as soon as you have sex with the next person, you have another imprinting, another imprinting, another imprinting, mm-hmm. right? So the more often you have sex with people, the more you have an imprinting. And by the time you get to someone, and since there's not the same amount of imprinting, it's just not capable of having as much intimacy as previously was. That first person imprinting, strong, going to have great intimacy. Z. By the time I get to 12th, 20th, X, Y, and Z, there's not a strong intimacy there. It's very difficult there because I've been rewiring um, my brain that way with so many other people. That's just biologically fact yeah, from the beginning.
3: Creating some bad neurological pathways. Exactly. And I think the oxytocin is the bonding chemical. Then when flesh and flesh come together, it bonds two individuals together. Yeah. And that's where you see even in from high school relationships, college relationships, when most people break up, it's like a mini divorce. It's dramatic. It's mm-hmm. It's heavy. It hurts because these people have been sexually active and they're literally bonding together as one flesh, you know, just from a scientific perspective. And then when they – there's no contract, there's no reason for them to stay together, something, whatever happens, and then they break up and it's a huge argument. And then you see these people lashing out at – you know, three weeks ago, these people loved each other as all butterflies and dandelions. And now they're lashing out at this person like they're disgusting, they're horrible, and then it's all negative remarks towards that individual. Yeah,
1: what's happened today is, is we've had a separation, um, looking at the, the soul or the spirit is separate from the body. You're like, hey, you can do whatever mm-hmm. you want with your body because your spirit separate from your body, right? Two different things, a dualism in that, or yeah. dichotomy. Yeah. But we believe as Christians are saying, no, no. those are intertwined. Yes, there are two separate entities there. Mm-hmm. We're not, but they're intertwined in that sense. What you do with your body affects your spirit. What you do with your spirit affects your body and vice versa inside of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why we see such a high rate of anxiety and depression. See, oh, I just did all this stuff whatever it was physically
3: ignoring and
1: I thought it was going to help me. And here yet I am anxious and depressed about whatever I've been doing or whatever's going on there. And it doesn't, it's not getting me there. That's just like of anyone in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Taylor. What do you have to add as a female perspective here? I'm just going to keep on going. Sure. I think,
4: I think just from (laughs) a female perspective, right? Like when, like, I I wish we would just get real too about Mm. some of the things and just be like, you know, like how is your relationship actually? Like, are, do you add, like? I wish we would just talk about like the hurt sometimes because yeah. I think if if we put that out in the open and just said like, okay, like are like are you okay? And like we we have these like highs and lows in relationships, and it's like what what if they just like you hear this term, like, nice guys finish last or whatever. Like, what if you just, (laughs) like, what if you, no, but honestly, I think, no, truly, I think if you just said, if you said like, okay, what if you, what if you gave somebody a chance who just respects you? Like, Mm. what's going to happen? Like, I I think we're addicted almost to the pain that comes from certain relationships because Mm. that's all we've known. And going into a relationship where there's no pain, it's respect. It, It might feel awkward at first because it's, it's unknown, it's unfamiliar, but you know, I just, I, I think that's like like with my girlfriends, when we have conversations about things, it's like when you just uh, like kind of rip the Band-Aid off and, and you, you open... Oh, you, you, uh, stop looking at the highlight reels, right? We, we actually investigate like, okay, we see this thing in, in pop culture. We hear about, you know, what's normal or what everyone else is doing. But like when we actually talk about the side, the side effects, the consequences of that, and you realize you're not the only one that feels that way. In yeah. fact, most people feel that way. Like suddenly those statistics, it's like, wait, there might actually be merit to like, there, there's a cause there, right? Mm. Mm.
1: Yeah. you two to 10 minutes of sex last night. Wow. Best part ever but then the other 22 hours a day i'm actually anxious and depressed and i can't sleep at night and then yeah. oh, that hour-long dinner was awesome and then dinner got over and i started feeling these emotions again um inside of that
2: um, you, you don't want to be with someone uh, to whom you want to spend the rest of your life and you're thinking about someone else oh 100 and that happens you know when you have a recurrent habit of being with anyone or everyone then and those your, thoughts stick with you.
1: Yeah, those thoughts stick with you inside of that. Man, I was thinking about, like, we've been joking. We have a, a dog named George, a little golden doodle. And he comes up, brings the ball or whatnot, does it with my buddy. And I'm like, George just wants to be loved. Brings up the ball, wants a pet, wants you to throw the ball. And my buddy Luke is just like, that's everybody. Luke Faraguti. Luke Ferraguti. He's like, I just want to be loved. Love. And so our joke right now is like, man, I just want to be loved. Throw <laughs> the ball. Throw the ball. You know? <laughs> that's what I looking for. I want, I just want to feel loved inside of that. Mm-hmm. And we haven't even addressed like, that's just a, psychologically, we're looking at in society, um, biologically, we haven't even looked at a Christian, Christian perspective. Before you go things.
2: into that, a soul tie is real. Soul ties. Soul tie. biologically,
1: that there is a tie happening there in the brain. And yeah. that when we have to look at the body and the mind slash soul being intertwined, right, there is an attachment there. I don't necessarily want to call it like a soul tie. Like when my when I, when I die, my soul still attached to you. It's... it's not like that.
3: Yeah, it's it's really neurological pathways and the oxytocin and the dopamine that is getting released when you are, you know, having sex with another person who's not your spouse or whatever it is. Neurological pathways are essentially if you go to tie your shoe, you don't have to think about your tying your shoe. You already know how to do it. You've built a neurological pathway. And when you build a neurological pathway that's just engraved in your brain to, you know, have sex with this one girl and go that way and go that way and go that way and and then you're connecting – your, your dopamine is rushing to her. Your brain is literally – you're forming your brain to get excited and the yeah. dopamine is rushing, which is stronger than cocaine, to that individual. You guys aren't married then you split ah, and you still yeah. have those nasty neurological pathways. And you can change and you can form new pathways and new healthier habits. Yeah. But those are devastating. I mean, sexual sin is probably one of the most devastating and you remember it forever, you know. yeah. Like the girls that you slept with or whatever it may be from your past, those are going to hurt the worst. Mm. You know, if I asked you to, hey, tell me a lie that you told in 11th grade, you'd probably struggle to figure out a lie. But if I said, who did you have, who did you sleep with in 11th mm. grade? Those would, yeah. and that's why Jesus hits on it so hard. It's because there's so much baggage and so much weight from those sins that are going to follow and take you can change neurologically and create healthier pathways and stuff, but a lot of those sins are gonna be with you for the rest of your life. Yeah, I was thinking
1: about how like that's, as a Christian, I believe that's part of God's creation Mm. where I am designed to to desire that one person to implement because that keeps us in a monogamous relationship. So right now my story is that I've only had one woman, I only know my wife, and so my desire for her is so high because that's how God intended where I'm like, oh, I got my imprint in her, I know her, my neurological pathway is designed for her, that way pursue her and continually go for that one woman in uh, design which is really cool how, how god has created that that's awesome Were you uh, i think it was jesse when I told me a story of you know kind of give an example was it one of your buddies at work or whatnot and like try it before you buy it you know that mentality yeah <laughs> yeah the, the, the try it you know the try it, give them that that example to try it before you buy it
3: that's where we're in society because um i'm just
1: not sure if we're compatible no yeah well in society we have this
3: you gotta you gotta you know test drive the car before you buy it that's our mindset in society and i was uh in undergrad, I was working at a restaurant, and then one of my managers came up, and because I used to live a, a crazy life, and um, my manager, he said, so you really, you're really, you really going to stay, like, sexually pure? Are you doing that for, like, Jesus, or are you doing that just for, like, other reasons? I said, well, I think it's healthier, and I think it's honoring to my future wife. And, yeah, ultimately, because of Christ as well, he calls us that. But if you look at the why, it's, it's a lot healthier, and it's going to be a lot more beneficial. It's not like I'm missing out. Following Christ's design is actually going to— Make my life better, mm. not worse. And uh, he's like, man, dude, shout out to you for doing that. He's like, that's insane. He's like, I don't know how you could, you know, sustain from that. He's like, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy that's got to, you know, test drive the car before you buy it. You know, you're kind of taking a risk. I said, okay, I'm going to, I'll make a, I'm going to use. Uh, use the example. I'll use his name. Use it. I was uh, <laughs> just, uh, I was like, okay, Jeremy, um, say, you, say you, I said, you have a daughter, right? I say I come pick her up from her house, and I said, "Hey, Jeremy, just gonna go. Uh, you know, I really like your daughter. I'm gonna go take her on a test drive real quick." And he's like, "Okay." And he's like, oh, well, you guys have a fun date, and I come back and I drop your daughter off. She's crying, and I said, "Yeah, Jeremy. You know, I we had a good date and everything, but I the test drive it, it wasn't. Yeah, you know, don't really want to buy it. You know, it wasn't it wasn't as satisfying as I thought. Here, you could have it back." I said, how would that feel about your daughter? He said, oh, my goodness. He's never looked at it from that perspective. Mm. He's like – he said, that's disgusting. You're just going to test drive my daughter and then not like that and then just decide you don't want to be with her? I said, yeah, man. Well, I said, that's what you're that's what you're saying. Yeah. That was a, that. Was a,
4: and I think – so somebody wants – I think it's important to kind of debunk the thoughts and the um, assumptions we make behind sex and behind relationships. I had a – a friend tell me, you know, she told me these are my boundaries in my relationship. And she was kind of like, well, I I was a little nervous about, you know, like, well, what if we do end up together? And it's like, I've like, we've never done X, Y, or Z. And she, I think felt an implicit pressure. But, um, the guy that she's dating was like, look, if we choose to be together, we've got a life to figure that out. Like, and she said that that just took a weight off where it's like, you don't have to worry about like. Okay, well, what if what if I'm not good enough? What if this isn't like, no, you're just you're there to see if this person has the qual they possess the qualities that you're looking for in a future spouse, and that's it. It pulls the pressure off of it. And guess what? Like you can just have fun in that. Like yeah. in that in that relationship, you know where you stand. Like you don't have to be worrying about, like, am I enough? Am I doing things right? Like it's no, you're just you're just enjoying their presence, and you're 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 kind of moving towards asking those deeper and deeper questions. And when you do commit to one another, like you have a partner in that, where it's like, I'm not going to leave you. Like we're we're a team. Like we're we're working together for the rest of our lives. Like you make that clear from the outset. Like if I commit to you, if we choose one another, like we're in this for the long haul, and that's you, beautiful. You
3: got the rest of your life to
2: yeah practice. exactly exactly. It's. It, I, I like that you say that because we glorify sex too much. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's so many other better things, you know, and sex is not just... I I don't want to misspeak, but uh, it's it's, it's not the order of the day, right? So I think anything can happen that might affect your ability to even engage in that. But if you are with someone who, you know, like you guys are like, hey, man, we're going to serve Jesus, we're going to run after Christ, and I'm going to do that with you, then I think it's so much better to realize that there's many other things that are more important. Amen. You could get hit yeah. by a car today and be paralyzed from the waist down,
1: not able to have sex anymore. Absolutely. And is your significant other going to stick with you because of the covenant relationship you have? Wow. Or are they out because of the physical pleasure you can no longer give them?
2: Yeah. Did you guys want to transition into the uh, Christian we, perspective? Oh, Christian perspective. And then we have on one more now Tough you know. question. I'll make it pretty brief in this one.
1: Um, <laughs> straightforward, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam, Eve, Susan, Levin, whatever name. Like he didn't, he just created Adam and Eve. He created it to be yeah. two shall become one flesh, as he says inside of Genesis. Um, and then he says, you shall not commit adultery explicitly to the Israelites um, inside of that. And then he imitates... The example of marriage by having a covenant relationship with the Israelite people, one chosen people who he has designed to be the vessel, the vehicle to the rest of the nations. He said, you are my covenant people. I have a covenant with you guys and you alone, no other nation Mm -hmm. aside of that. But you're my vehicle to bring myself and my glory, to make myself known to every other nation. And then we have New Testament. Jesus brings us and says, man, you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery. But I say, if you even have lust in your eyes, you've committed adultery in your heart. And he's looking at the inward, he's like, God's always desired the heart there, and he's taking the next level. And he's like, next level is, you guys can't even lust. You can't look at porn. You can't masturbate. You can't even think about a woman because that's a sin right there. Because they were only doing an outward, external stuff. And so he's taking it to the next level for us. And so we have this clear example, like, God really wants us to have a pure and blameless heart before him inside of that. And ultimately, the picture is of Christ and his bride, the church, and how he is Christ with the church, which is one church, right? One in one is what they are there for. That's how God has always designed things. Unity of two flesh is becoming one.
2: Right. Are you guys ready for the final question? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Hope that was a decent synopsis. That was a, I was about to say, that's a, a topic
2: you could yeah.
1: have we can, a whole series Yeah, of yeah we could a whole series yeah. on that. i, I, yeah, I do, that.
3: I could mention real quick. Awesome. Statistically, if you follow God's design for marriage, you will be statistically your sex life, Christian's sex life. And I'm talking about biblical Christians, people who are generally following Christ and pursuing Christ. Their sex lives are the highest out of any other. They have the greatest sex lives. They have they connect um, sexually greatest than anyone else physically, emotionally, spiritually, and the um, overall happiness and joy of their life is significantly higher than any other way. So you almost think God knows what he's talking about, and his design is... Trustworthy. You might... You might, it's, it's really nice to know I don't... Give not, it a try. My wife is only sleeping with me. I don't have to worry about her past partners, and I don't have to be stressing about... There's 5,000 things. things that we can mention that oh, yeah. you don't have to worry about, and yep. the peace and the joy and the love yep. from God's design to range mm.
1: But what's that last question then,
2: Deveal? We started the podcast by talking about cancel culture, and one of the detriments that's really been brought about, or that's been uh, accelerated by cancel culture is the increased rates of suicide, right? And so that happens so much around us, young people, older people, uh, successful people, unsuccessful people, uh, celebrities, non-celebrities. So could we really take a moment and talk about uh, why you should not kill yourself, why it's never a great idea to kill yourself. Next week, week we are going to have uh, a therapist coming in and joining us to talk really about this in more detail. That should be awesome inside of that. Um, We'll start with the basis,
1: um, the value of a human life as um, a non-Christian worldview, as an atheist or agnostic, we look at things are just here, right? And honestly, there's no separation between an animal, a bird and myself and that value because we are just here there's nothing that separates us from a christian perspective as i said earlier we are created in the image of god male and female god created us again that's genesis 126 and 27 and because we're created in the image of god we bear his likeness and we are we have consciousness and we have a spirit which separates us and therefore creating the his god genes we have this worth and value that's equal um and that is greater than all the other things on this planet that's the beginning of it
3: yeah and then i could i could go in as well i could just give a a basic answer and then we could elaborate on it more from the biblical perspective. It's that God is the ultimate life giver and taker. And so a lot of people try to view it as when God takes life, it's like, well, he's murdering people and he's killing people. God gave you that life and the, he's the giver of life. So he has the freedom to take life and give life. So it's not murder in God's eyes. But the, So if, if God is the maker and the taker of life, so when he takes life, it wouldn't be murder. However, I think that if somebody else... Does commit suicide, it would be murder. It's not their life to take. God enabled that person to have life. It's his life. You know, and uh, we like to, you know, our life is our own. We like to get in this mentality that our life is our own. We've actually been bought with the price of Jesus or the blood of Jesus. It's ultimately God gave us life and it's not our life to take. It would be like a simple answer. Yeah, Job says
1: the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed mm-hmm. be the name of the Lord in yeah. Job 1. And recognizing that God's sovereignty of creation and sovereignty inside of death as mm-hmm. well um, in that. And I love how you said any time that you are taking of a life in that sense, it is it is a murder of some kind.
2: Yeah, but it's your life.
1: Mm. But we, what Jesse is pointing out there in the Bible, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Um, and in 1 Corinthians 6, it says flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a man commits outside the body, but see he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Take that back to the last one we just talked about. But also, do you not know that you are not your own? For you are bought with a price, mm. bought by God Christ's blood, therefore honor God with your body. But I do not believe so, in the Bible. So as Christians, right? Someone says Christians, right? Therefore we have a clear mandate, honor God with your body, you are bought with a price. Therefore we are owned by God. Outside of Christianity, the sad thing is, what hope are you living for?
3: Right? That's the question. What hope are you living for? You could even propose the question, well, if they're, you know, if you're struggling in this life and whatever worldview you have, it could be better. Yeah. Outside of a Christian perspective, yeah, take your life. Maybe, you know, it'll increase your chances to get out of this and get out of the struggle. But the Christian perspective would be that ultimately it's not our life to take. God has enabled us to have life. He's given us this life. He created this life. It's his, our bodies are not our own. It's not our life to take, so you can't murder. And we
1: counsel someone who says, again, because in most sense, I'm like, man, I can't judge them. I can't say you're committing adultery, man. You're not, you don't know Jesus. I can't judge you in that, right? Mm-hmm. you do doing things. You don't know who he is. I, under, I would be doing the same exact thing. So in suicidal thoughts or suicide, I'm like, I probably get the same place. When I don't know Jesus, there's a lot of depression, a lot of hurt. Like, why do I want to be here? But then yet we know this hope who is in Christ. And I take it back and I say, you have value as an image bearer of God, as his creation, as Mm -hmm. his chosen creation inside of that. And therefore, you need to stay alive inside of that, right? And then as Jesse has said, like, you have value more so than anything else on this earth because God created you in his image. He specially made you. He knows you intimately and knit you together in your mother's womb. And, And God wants to know you intimately. And so therefore, the gospel says, Jesus, what he did, died on the cross, you know, after coming to this earth, lived a perfect life, and then he rose from the grave so that we can have intimacy with him and the Father for eternity. And he loves you. And that's what I'm gonna tell a person with suicidal thoughts, because basically I agree. There's probably not many reasons to live without Christ, but recognizing who, what He's done and sharing that with them.
4: Yeah, and well. I, I think it's important to note that it's it's not just going from like I'm I'm okay, I'm good, and then suddenly like you know I'm I'm contemplating suicide, right? Like you mentioned, Andrew, suicidal thoughts start to creep up, and yep. I think it's important to like investigate those and analyze those. It's like what are you telling yourself? What what lies are you telling yourself? Those are the suicidal thoughts. It's like, "Oh, I don't matter." "Oh, my sin is too much to be forgiven." "Oh, I'm too much. Nobody loves me." It's like, no, when you root yourself in the truth, everything that we were just talking about, everything that you were just discussing, like your life matters. That yeah. is the ultimate truth. Suicidal thoughts completely can like conflict with that truth that your life matters, that you've your life has been bought with a price, that you have a purpose. And there's no place in that for suicidal thoughts. And so I think that's where we just have to, you know, like we have to show love for one another because, Mm. you know, and and if you have a friend that's, you know, expressing those things, it's like, we just have to like truthfully remind one another that like your life is important and valuable. And that's not just, just a godly thought. It's like also just from like, uh, you know, a pragmatic point, sometimes just being like, no, your friendship matters to me too. Mm -hmm. No, like, like, look at all you've done with your life, and just reminding people of the goodness. I think that's sometimes how, um, you know. And, and obviously, next week when when you bring in the um, the professional, I think it's it's important to note that there are also other other things at play there, right? It's not, you know, suicidal thoughts are not just easily confined to this box. But I think it's important to know that, like. You know, lies conflict with truth.
2: Comparison. And, yeah. Mm. Like who are you listening to? Whose voice are you listening to? What do you watch? What do you fill your head with? Andrew does this thing that really makes me happy. I think every two weeks I receive a letter in the mail from Andrew. <laughs> not and not it's, that often. Usually. <laughs> it makes me happy. And I think it's just great to remind the people that you love, like to shower the people that you love with love. And so that every single time, you know, you're constantly reminded that you're loved and that you matter and that... Jesus loves you. And of all people who can love you of anything that can show you love, I think the love of Jesus is the most priceless because I think he demonstrated that love for you in that while you are a sinner, he went on that cross. He didn't have to, you know, he came down to earth and he lived a life full of suffering uh, so that you'd be free, like he did it for you. And he provides a way out of that. And I think Jesse talked about the life that you live, it's not our own. And truth is, man, if you live a life under the shadow of his wings, you know, if you live a life in Jesus, man, the life is going to be so, so much better. And uh, you, you're you going to feel it. And, you know, at times, you know, we explain these things and it's really harder to really just, uh, like, fully explain what we mean when you talk about living a full life in Christ.
3: But then it truly, truly is. So you should give it a try. You should give it yeah. a try. and. It- it's tough as well, too, because there is um, what I say? one of the biggest things, too, is there is so much like the love that you experience, like the love from above that you experience from Christ. It's it's words almost can't explain it. Mm-hmm. I don't think words do it justice. Mm-hmm. And so but at the same time, it was kind of what Taylor was saying is we have to have a healthy balance as well. Life is tough. In this world, you'll have troubles. Yeah. We live in a fallen world, yeah, and that's what Jesus say in this life. You will have peace, you will have success, you will have no. He says in this life, you will have trouble, and you may have peace. Promises trouble, so we're gonna have trials, obstacles, situations, and and challenges that are inevitable. But one of the biggest things is that it's that hope in the future is that when we do die, we'll be reconciled with Jesus and we'll be we'll meet the maker of it all in heaven. We'll have eternal life in heaven. So no matter what challenge or obstacle, because we will have them in this life, yeah. even though we follow Christ, it's going to be still extremely difficult walk till the end. And so I think the biggest thing is keeping your eye on that eternal hope. No matter what obstacle, challenge, or whatever you're going through, this isn't it. This is a short 90 to 100 years. If you could just Keep your f- mind focused on th- the life to come, the-, the eternity in heaven, and the ultimate. You know.
4: Yeah, Jesus doesn't say take a vacation. He says take up your cross. Right. It's, it's <laughs> not.
0: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we you to take a
1: sixty-year <laughs> vacation. Actually, it,
4: it, it's. It, it's not. You know, we 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 are given these promises of yeah. salvation, but it's it's not like hey, it's gonna. You know, your 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 life on this earth is not always going to be easy. That's yeah. that's like given, right? You look in the Bible, we don't see stories of, you know, like, oh, it was super cool. We just like laid out <laughs> on the beach. It's like, no, you hear about these, like, you hear about like, you know, the, the Israelites in slavery, you hear about though how God still shows up. And I think that's mm. also valuable is like when, you know, we open like ourselves up to one another and we're vulnerable in that. We say, you know, I've struggled with that too. Like that sometimes just makes somebody feel less lonely in what yeah. they're going through. And it's yeah. also like, yeah, like we all struggle. Like it, it becomes, it's like normalize it, but also like be strong in that and, and kind of lean into others on that. Mm. Wow.
1: Yeah. I love, I've uh, been reading the New Testament and I a said to me like five books, we have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, I'm in first Thessalonians. And every time Paul says the opening grace and peace to you right so this idea is especially as christians grace you've been given god's grace and because of that you have this peace from god that's because you have assurance of salvation you know where you're going you know what's going to happen to you and it took me like and he never changed it's not like peace and grace he says grace and peace because it's in that order let just dwell on that past couple of days so dwell yeah. on that
2: folks that's awesome lovely people it has been a beautiful episode with two wonderful people one who juggles and the other one Cool.
4: Going, going places. Stayed home oh, going places. Places, yeah. <laughs> Thank you
1: so much for listening guys uh, Next week is going to be awesome Stay tuned and hasta pronto Adios
0: muchachos Goodbye Bye. 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 Thank you for tuning in to this episode We hope you were encouraged And inspired to turn to the only one Who can and will satisfy you If you have any questions We'd love to hear them out Feel free to reach us on any Social media platform at Shine and Delight. You can also shoot us an email at shineanddelight@outlook.com. at outlook.com. Until next time, be kind, love all, share your shine.